Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There was a story I was reading out of uh, Thunder Bay, the police chief there, who says uh, violence and homicides are taking such a toll on their police force that they can't keep up with the surge of homicides. And, you know, the chief describes a city just awash in drug addiction, ripe for the picking by what he calls ruthless gangsters coming in from southern Ontario who then target the city because they see it as a cash cow for narcotics. There's a lot of strain on the system. I want to bring John Reed into this conversation. He is president of the Toronto Police Association, joins us on Thursdays. Good to have you, John. Good morning, Alex. How are you? I wanted to kind of touch upon that uh, headline. I thought it was interesting when you see a police chief. I mean, he, he's pretty much painting a story of just being so worn down because they're having to take officers from one unit to another unit. They're trying to cross everything and... They can't keep up with the crime that is clearly being fueled by activity in the GTA Toronto and the gang activity we see. What happens in that situation when you've got crime fueling other cities' crime? How much work happens between uh, police detaches? So there is a lot of communication that goes on between <clears throat> police services themselves. But I think this, I like to say this is an isolated incident, but this is the reality now with policing here in Ontario is that unfortunately um, a lot of the services now are so understaffed, under-resourced, uh, as a result of the last few years, that they're an- unable to keep up with the ebbs and the flows of crime. You know, and obviously right now it appears Thunder Bay is uh, experiencing a very large increase. Yeah, um, look, I don't know, does the budget, you know, um, increase that we got in Toronto, does that help at all? Will that help at all kind of start to crack down on this? So as far as <clears throat> situations here in Toronto, uh, the budget increase, those 200 uh, additional officers, plus the special constables, plus the dispatchers, will help. But it's not going to be a fix. Uh, we need to continue, uh, continually invest in policing here in Ontario, uh, especially here in Toronto as well. Because you know, the whole idea here is, although you know, we have to make sure people feel safe in Toronto as well, and it's our job as police officers and the police service to make sure that happens. But we also need the support from federal, provincial, and the city governments to get that done. And we're actually seeing that here within the city of Toronto this year. Yeah, uh, but again, uh, the opiate uh, crisis is just such a huge part of the problem, um, you know, and it's all over Ontario. I don't know how they're going to get ahead of that. I just don't know how they're going to get ahead of it because they don't really seem to be even trying. Uh, you're correct. And I think part of the problem also is that, you know, policing isn't the be-all and end-all. You know, we're not, we're not going to be able to police our way out of these situations. We need further investment upstream, um, you know, as far as addiction, addictions, uh, support, uh, housing, uh, community investment as well within these areas. You know, and that's something which people have to understand. But I will say all that, but not at the expense of policing. You know, policing is a core function, is a core safety issue here for the residents of Toronto. And I think as you know, you'll ask any resident in Toronto, you know, do they feel as safe today as they did 20 years ago? I'm pretty sure the answer is going to be no. Yeah, uh, but again, it is so um, political uh, as far as... Um you know, the, the defund crowd, they are not happy at all. They make a lot of noise. Tory has been clear. He, he's not going to pull back on this. But um, in the wider uh, picture, I think uh, people do want to kind of see more, more presence on the street. 
because the crime is, is going up. Maybe not as much people getting killed in that, but the crime is not stopping. Uh, meanwhile, there's been some movement, I think quite a bit of movement, uh, on bail conversations. The Prime Minister on uh, late earlier this week said his government will be looking carefully at this letter that was written on Friday and sent to his office by all the premiers of territories and um, and all the provinces. So this isn't just one or two. They are all calling for reforms to the bail system. Um, and, and the prime minister said, you know, he'll look at it. But then he said, you know, there's challenges around impacts, particularly with indigenous and or minority groups that have to be taken into account. So let me just kick things off and start, you know, uh, obviously with the with the chiefs of police getting involved and starting to speak up. Um, there's a lot of pressure building. But is it go? do you actually think this is moving into a direction of action? I, I, I do think it is actually moving. It's, like We've been banging this drum now of bail reform for almost two years now. And it's finally, uh, we're happy to see that the uh, OACP, uh, the premiers across Ontario, and or sorry, across Canada, are actually supporting it. And I would say to the federal government, you know, in the policing world, we call this a clue. There's a problem here, and we need to make sure it's addressed. But it needs to be a very fulsome, thoughtful review of the bail system as a whole. And when we look at that review, it needs to be from the front end. You know, when an individual is taken into custody and they're deciding whether or not to grant bail Mm -hmm. all the way through the process to the back end, when we're actually releasing somebody on bail and ensuring the processes and the resourcing, the funding is there to make sure that individual is complying with their bail. Yeah. And I know I understand the prime minister. I mean, look, they have gone in the more restorative um, justice angle when it comes to minority groups. You know, they want to give more and more chances, um, you know, and that's the direction they have moved. But the bottom line is, if, if you are, it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, if you've got violent criminal offenses involving guns and gangs on your uh, rap sheet, I don't know if it matters what their background is. I don't think they should be automatically getting bail. I agree with you. I think generally speaking, if you have an individual that's proven to be a violent individual walking around a city with a loaded illegal firearm, that individual is not out there for any purpose apart from to probably cause harm to somebody in that city. And we need to ensure that the public is protected from that individual. You know, they're, they're giving up their right because they are acting in that manner that is not clear and it's not reasonable for the general public to uh, understand. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Uh, nonetheless, we'll keep an eye on that one, see where it goes, because, again, right now it is talk. Uh, just quickly want to get this in with you, John, before we go, but the Toronto Police... Uh, being blamed for kind of derailing a case, which the judge, you know, accused of bordering on negligent and said they had to basically toss out the charges on a gun crime where a man was accused of pointing a gun at a man walking his dog um, because they couldn't get disclosure. And so they, he, you know, the judge said the police simply did not give evidence. Uh, you know, six to nine months, the Crown was trying to get it, but they couldn't get evidence in time. And so the judge is blaming the police uh, for collapsing this case. Um, are there not guardrails in place when you get a, a bust on, on these kinds of things as far as evidence being turned over at the police side of things? Because it's not the first time we've heard these stories, but what, what are the guardrails? So within these particular situations, you end up with an investigation and the officers will turn over all their evidence and notes and documentation involved in a file. Uh, that goes from the police office to a disclosure process to the Crown Attorney. Um, now, part of the problem you run into sometimes with disclosure is in that disclosure process, there may be an issue disclosing certain information. In this particular incident, I don't have all the facts on it. It may not be the entire disclosure was the issue. It may have been a portion of the the disclosure that was important to the Crown's case. 
Um, you know, but I think there's always a variety of issues that could um, be kind of the result of this disclosure issue. Uh, but it will be looked into, obviously, by the, the Crown and the service. On one side, you can't, uh, you know, if we're going to bring people in on gun crimes, the last thing we want are these cases to collapse because uh, the police may or may not have done uh, something on that. Um, all right, John. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I meant to. Well, I was to say, one of the issues, sorry, could be also uh, resourcing as well, as far as the justice system, which once again just comes down to um, where we are right now in undercutting police services, the justice system as a whole. Yeah, no quitting. All right, well, stay tuned on that one. Uh, John, very much appreciate your time. Great. Thank you very much. Have a great day. You as well. That's John Reed uh, joining us from the Toronto Police Association.